computer of most every sermon I've ever preached, and it is, it is extensive. But of all of the sermons I've ever put together, I can't think of a sermon that I have been more excited to preach than this one. I'm so wound up to preach this that I couldn't sleep last night. In fact, um, I think I laid in bed for an hour and a half thinking about what I'm going to preach right now and asking God to just settle me down and let me go to sleep. I woke up this morning thinking about this, and I just about preached it this morning uh, because I was so pumped about it. Now, I don't want to get make uh, uh, put your hopes on a level that this is somehow going to I'm going to transform and become a better preacher than I usually am. It's probably going to be the same delivery style. And you may walk out saying, Pastor, I'm sorry. I just don't see why you were so excited about that. But, uh, but personally, I am, I'm stoked about this message. And the topic is, a, um, is uh, powerful and exciting all by itself. Um, let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 5. And uh, we'll read down through verse number 9. The Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We're in the middle of a series of sermons on theology, the doctrine of God. Tonight, the topic of the sermon is this, the power of God's precious name. The power of God's precious name. Let's pray. Lord. I ask tonight that you would help us as we look at this to stay focused and, Lord, to be excited about just how powerful you are and not just powerful because of what you do, but powerful even by your title. And, Lord, I pray that this would help us to look at you maybe in a different angle, maybe with a little bit more reverence and respect than we ever have before. Lord, I pray there would be aha moments for everybody here tonight as maybe some of what we have believed for years will be understood more clear. And then, Lord, that clarity would help us to go out and live exactly how you want us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. In our Western culture, names really don't mean a whole lot. They just really don't mean a whole lot. Um, Names are nothing more than a tag to identify who someone is. Uh, when uh, Angela and I were expecting Matthew, we were trying to figure out what to name him. We had April's name picked out uh, before we knew that Matthew was a boy. And a- Angela was really brokenhearted that she was expecting a boy, not a girl. She cried during the sonogram. She did. And I was jumping up and down for joy. We went to Walmart after we left the sonogram to pick up some things to the house, and and she was depressed. And she already had her daughter's name picked out in April. uh, Her middle name is McKenna. But we didn't have Matthew's name uh, picked out, and so it was a long, hard process. You say, well, what did you do to pick his name? Was it that you looked it up, and you learned the definition, and you picked a name that was 
biblical. I got to tell you, we didn't use any of that as a criteria to pick his name. The criteria to pick Matthew's name was, does it sound good in English and in Spanish? That was really the beginning and the end of it. And then we went to pick his middle name, and we, we, we didn't argue. We really didn't argue about it, but we, we threw all kinds of names around, and neither one of us could agree on a middle name. And we happened to be in Louisiana visiting my grandmother, who's now deceased, and my, I have a cousin down there named Blake. And we both liked Blake, and so we decided that we would only call him his first name in Spanish because there is no translation for Blake in Spanish. But the, um, the name Matthew Blake came around, uh, not because of some deep meaning to it, but just because we liked the way it rolled off the mouth, and we didn't know anybody who we didn't like who had those names. If I were to say to you, Pick a guy's name you would never name your son. You'd probably pick a name of someone you just don't care for. Right? I said pick the name of a, gir- a girl's name that you just would never name a daughter. You could probably list four or five names say, I would never name my daughter this. And it's probably because you had a bad experience with someone by that name. Now, don't, don't let me lose you. Don't be doing that, all right, while I'm preaching. You can do that later, okay? Put that out of your mind. But uh, we, in our Western culture... We pick names for very, very shallow reasons. And I don't mean every instance. I don't mean to paint everyone with the same broad brush. But generally speaking, as a culture, that's what we do. Please understand that that is not what they did in Bible times. In Bible times. Uh, When uh, someone heard your name during the Old Testament times and even into the New Testament times, your name meant a whole lot more then a name means now. Um, and so when you went to assign a name and give someone a name, you put a whole lot of thought into that because uh, everybody not only would call your child by that name, but they knew exactly what that name meant, uh, the very meaning of that name. If I were to ask you uh, ten different common English names that we call people, and I were to ask you what they mean, most of us here probably couldn't give a definition of what a name means. Uh, i got to be honest, I don't even know what my own name means. How many of you here do know the definition of your name? Would you raise your hand? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you here do not know the definition of your name? Would you hold up your hand? I'd say about 40% of you... Do or don't, and 60% of you do. How many here know, if you're married, how many of you here know the definition of your spouse's name? How many of you do not know the definition of your spouse's name? Probably about the same, okay? But beyond the ones you've looked up, you probably don't know a whole lot. And if you do, I'd say that you're above average. Now, um, it is really awesome to see how some children's names in the Bible became prophetic in their nature. We're going to look at a couple of these in just a minute. Uh, When it comes to God's name, let's look at a few in the introduction that won't be involved in the main body of the sermon tonight, but are very important uh, uh, for the foundation of this topic, okay? First, if you're taking notes, I'd really encourage you to take notes tonight, because I'm going to give you a lot of things that are just special. Um, Write down the letters E-L, L. And that is the name for God, the most base name in the Hebrew language for God, all right? 
Let me just go ahead and throw this disclaimer out. I am no Hebrew or Greek expert, all right? If I say something tonight and you are more of a Hebrew or Greek expert than I am, and you know that I'm wrong, be kind, all right? Be kind. Um, I'm more concerned about making uh, uh, practical points of application than I am having you correct me. Now, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But uh, don't let that distract you from paying attention to the main message of the sermon, okay? So L means God. Uh, Write this one down, and this is the first name for God in Genesis, Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim. Now, you find the name Elohim in the Hebrew Bible many times, and it doesn't always refer to the God of heaven. In fact, uh, when we're told that we're not to make any God's Before us, the word for false gods there, plural, is the word Elohim. And any time that you hear Elohim and it's referring to a false god, the word is always plural in nature. Now, this is really neat. But when Elohim is talking about the God of heaven, it is always singular in nature. You know why, right? Because God is a triune being that is one. And the name Elohim basically means the God of all gods. The God of all gods. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the root word for God is the word Theo. T-H-E-O. Theo. And so that's where we get the doctrine of God the Father as theology. Theology. The study of God or God the Father. So, Theo is the Greek word for God. There are many, many, many names for God in the Hebrew, all right? So, um, uh, now, there are many names in the Bible that include the letters E-L in them, where either the name begins with E-L or it ends with E-L. Uh, I had several of these down uh, prior to uh, church this evening, but I had Miss Claudia uh, prior, uh, play, prior to play practice Give me a couple of more to help expand my list. So here are some of them, okay? The name Eli. Remember Eli the priest? You remember he was the one that told Hannah that she would have a baby? And then you remember that Eli would adopt Samuel into his home? Well, here's what Eli means. It means Jehovah is high, my God, a foster son adopted of the Lord. When his mother named him Eli... How could have she known that in his old age, he would adopt Samuel? So she named him one who would adopt, uh, or a foster son adopted of the Lord. All right, let me give you another one here. Elijah. Elijah. E-L, Elijah. All right, Elijah means strength of the Lord. Strength of the Lord. Elisha means God the Savior, or uh, to whom God is salvation. How about the name Elkanah? Elkanah. Elkanah means God has redeemed, possession of God, whom God possessed. When you called someone Eli or Elijah or Elisha or Elkanah, it wasn't just a title like we call each other. They knew exactly what the meaning of that name meant when they used it. All right. Now, here's some that maybe fit a little bit into prophecy or prophetic, the, the, the naming of these child children would have been prophetic at the birth. How about Daniel? Daniel ends in the letters E-L. Daniel means 
my judge is God. My judge is God. So when Daniel walked into Babylon, his judge was not Nebuchadnezzar. His judge was God. Um, How about Samuel? Samuel. Samuel means heard of God or God hears. Heard of God or God hears. Um, Wasn't it Samuel who had his name called? And then he went into Eli's room and said, here I am. And on the third time he said, that's God speaking to you. Samuel's name means heard of God. Pretty neat. Othniel. Othniel, this was uh, one of the judges found uh, in, in uh, the early history of Israel. In obviously the book of Judges. Othniel's name means powerful one, lion of God. All right. Um, Ezekiel means strength of God. Strength of God. And Joel or Joel means Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Um, This evening, my proposition is very simple, and it is this. God's name carries with it power and importance that will guide us in both revering him and, on a deeper level, trusting him. Revering him and trusting him. God's name is both powerful and precious. Let's, uh, let's look closely at four heart, uh, uh, heartwarming thoughts about this topic, the power of his precious name. Number one tonight, notice the power of his name. The power of his name. Let me give you quickly here, or uh, let me give you an A and a B. Letter A, notice the actions of his name. Just the name of God itself, all on its own, carries with it a power that is completely and totally incomprehensible to to, to any of us. All right. Uh, Make no mistake about it. God's name all by itself carries with it great power. And I think you know that, but I don't know if you are a, a church going believer, if you've ever put it together. Let me list for you several things here that God's name does all by itself. First of all, notice that salvation is in his name. Salvation is in his name. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You believe on the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus itself brings about salvation to you. The actions of his name. Notice next that believers gather in his name. Believers gather in his name. Matthew eighteen twenty says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, and God promises to be there with you because you have gathered in his name. We're talking about tonight the power of the name of God and the actions of his name. How about this one? Uh, we are commanded to pray in his name, to pray in his name. John chapter 14, verse number 13 says this, And whatsoever ye shall ask... In my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then just so you make sure that there's no question or that uh, uh, about this, just to make sure that Jesus is ultra clear, verse 14, he says, If you shall ask anything in my name, 
In my name, I will do it. When you call on the name of God and you speak in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, specifically, when you do that and you are in line with what God wants you to ask, God does things because you are doing it in his name. So we are commanded to pray in his name. Notice next, persecution comes because of his name. Persecution comes because of his name. Matthew 10:22 says, "And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved." Have you noticed how much hate toward the Hebrew people there has been throughout the history of time? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed uh, have you been watching the news and seeing this synagogue, Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh? That was shot up by this anti-Semitic, Semitic, hateful man who uh, in his uh, uh, execution of those people said all Jews must die. Do you know why Jews have been persecuted and killed for so many years? It is because of the name they claim to be associated with. The Jewish people have been killed because they have tagged themselves as being God's chosen People, And not only have they tagged themselves that way, God has tagged them that way. Have you noticed how many Christians are persecuted around the world? You can be almost any other religion and you're left alone. You're not persecuted and killed. I know persecution has come to other religions. I'm not ignorant of that. But I don't know that there has been any group of people... Then born-again, Bible-believing Christians, part of the church that God established, that has been persecuted. Every country that brings in a communistic system, the very first thing they do is they go after the Christian church. Every single time. Why? Because if you are going to be part of Christ, part of the power of the name of Christ is that persecution is brought on that. Why? Because they know the power that is just alone in the name of Christ. We're talking about the actions of God's name. Let me just say this, though, that in the end, God wins. And notice, lastly here, everyone will worship Jesus at his name. At his name. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're going to worship at His name. I don't care how horrible you live your life, how much you deny that God exists, or how much you hate God today, whether you are a, a, a moral person who has rejected Jesus' plan, or you claim that you hate God or don't believe in God, or you are the devil himself. One day, you're going to bow your knee at the throne of Jesus, and you're going to worship at His name. There is great power in the name of Jesus. There is great power in the name of our God. Letter B, notice the admiration of his name. The admiration of his name. Now turn over with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to show you something tonight that um, might be the reason why I'm so excited about this sermon. It's not the only thing in the sermon that excites me, but I have been itching all day to show the church this. And this is... um, this, uh, this shines a new light on how much we are to admire 
and reverence the name of our God. Look at Exodus three fourteen. We find here the story of Moses. He sees the bush that is burning and not consumed. God is in the bush. And he makes his way to the bush and he is told to take off his shoes because he is standing on sacred or holy ground. All right? Look at verse 14. And God, so so the backstory again here, Moses says to God, well, who am I to say sent me? Verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, he, uh, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Now, in verse 14, God called himself Eh Yeah. Eh Yeah. You can put that up there for me if you don't mind. Eh, yeah, that's the Hebrew word there. And that, uh, that word, eh, yet, was the, uh, was translated into our English Bibles, I am that I am. The word eh, yeah, is found twice there, back to back. Eh, yeah, eh, yeah. I am that I am. And it translates to literally, I will be. I will be. Or, that God just is. That God just is. He always has been. He always will be. He just exists. There is no time constraint around him. Go to Israel and say to them, I am that I am have sent you. But for uh, for Moses to walk into camp and say to them, I will be sent me, that sends a confusing message. So in verse 15, God clarifies and gives uh, uh, gives uh, Moses a different title to tell the Israelites Verse 15, look at it again. And God said moreover, uh, moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers. Now we find a different name for God in verse 15 that we find in verse 14. The, the, the Hebrew name for God in verse 15 is the name Yahweh. Yahweh. And Yahweh means He will be. He will be. So, uh, or He is. Uh, so he's going to walk in and say, uh, Yahweh sent me unto you. And that name Yahweh replies or infers that God, the God who sent me unto you is the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of your ancestors, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, in the Israelites uh, would so admire the name Yahweh that they refuse to even say it. They refuse to say it. How much do they admire the name Yahweh? They wouldn't say it. In fact, to this day, we really don't know how that Hebrew word is supposed to be pronounced because it went unspoken by everybody. The only person allowed to use this name of God was the high priest on the Day of Atonement once a year while in the Holy of Holies. And when he used it, everyone in the outer court had to lay prostrate on their face while the name was being used. When the scribes would write out copies of the Bible, and they came to this Hebrew name for God, 
Every time they came to this Hebrew name for God, they would get up and bathe and put on a fresh set of clothes before continuing. And please understand that bathing was an expensive thing to do back in early days. It wasn't as easy as it is now that we have indoor plumbing. It was an expensive, difficult process. And there were times where this name for God would be found several times in just a few short verses. And every time they would put down their pen and they would go take a bath and they would put on another set of clothes and they would write down the name for God. As if that was not enough, when the Hebrew people would come to this name for God, instead of saying Yahweh, they would use the word Adonai, Adonai, which means master or Lord. And any time in your Bible that you see the word Lord in capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that comes from the root word Yahweh, uh, where they would write down instead Adonai, and Adonai means Lord of Lords. There is a a more simple form of the word Adonai, which just means Lord as in a uh, an owner of slaves or a master over servants, and that is spelled uh, a lowercase L O R D. But Adonai was the was the code word, if you will, for Yahweh, which was the word that they absolutely refused to say. Now, um, devout Jews to this day pray a ritualistic prayer known as the Shema, known as the Shema. They pray it, I believe, and Pastor David, you can tell me if this is correct, every morning and every evening. Is that correct? They pray that prayer every morning and every evening. And here is how that prayer begins, okay? It begins this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Adonai, is our God. The Lord, Adonai, or Yahweh, is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And then it moves into our principal text where we started tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And they pray, if not all four of those verses, a good chunk of those. And there are also two other passages they pray. So uh, they pray that every day and uh, twice a day, and they refuse to actually say the name of God in the original language as it was written because they reverence and admire the name so much. Everybody with me so far? All right, let me show you something else here that's really neat. The word, uh, uh, the word for the Lord, uh, I shared this with you, is Adonai. Now, it gets more interesting, all right? Throughout the ages, put the next slide up there for me, the scribes refused to even write out the full name of God, so they developed somewhat of a hybrid word between Yahweh and Adonai. So here we have Yahweh. They took the consonants, and by the way, that Y-H-W-H, I believe that's known, I have it here somewhere, it's a very difficult word to say, uh, here it is, tetragrammatron, that is known as the tetragrammatron, Y-H-W-H, and they would take the vowels, so the consonants from Yahweh, and the vowels from Adonai, and they created a hybrid word that they would write down in place of even writing out the name Yahweh, go ahead and give us that hybrid word, there it is. Yahuwah, Yahuwah, the, the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai, Yahuwah. And when they would see that in the writings, they would say Adonai, Adonai. 
They would see that and know it was a reference back to the name of God. They revered the name of God so much they wouldn't write it out. So they put a hybrid word so that Yahweh would never be lost and that Adonai would be said. When they saw that word, they would say Adonai. Now, uh, the interesting thing is that long time later, English scribes came along and they began to interpret the Bible into English and they came across this word Yahuwah and they didn't know what to do with it. So they translated it Jehovah, Jehovah, the name Jehovah in the Bible comes from this hybrid word Yahuwah. Anywhere in the Bible you see uh, Jehovah, you can put in its place Yahweh, Yahweh, or the powerful name of God. Here's the point I want to make to you this evening. We throw, as a culture, by the way, there are Christians that attend this church that do it too. We throw the name of God around so loosely when they wouldn't even write it out. They wouldn't even say it. They would go bathe before writing the hybrid word, change their clothes. And anytime something catches us by surprise, we just throw his name out like it's nothing. Shame on us. Shame on us. Does this not bring new gravity to the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Hey, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go and put this out as well. Taking a word that sounds like God's name and putting it there instead of saying, oh my, and putting G-O-S-H or, or golly or whatever it is. Boy, you're walking a line. I'm not real comfortable walking. You're walking a line. You see how far away they steered from the line? You see how much they admired the name of God? Why? Because the name of God has with it great power and uh, a great importance. And we are to admire the power of God's name. Number one, we see the power of his name. Number two, let's look at the promises of his name, the promises of his name. Now, throughout the Bible, you find what I will call compound names of God, where the name Yahweh and another descriptive uh, 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 thing that God does are attached together and uh, describe who he is, or maybe L and the descriptive uh, thing. And some of these fall under what we'll label as the promises of God, and some of these uh, fall under point three. We'll get to that in a minute. Notice letter A, God will provide, or Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh. Turn over to Genesis chapter 22 with me. Genesis chapter 2. 22, rather. Look at verse number 14. You know the story, right? God has told Abraham to take his son, his only son, or the son who he loves, and to walk him, uh, take him on a journey to a place he's going to be showed, and to take him up a mount, and to plunge a knife into his chest and kill him. And uh, uh, I would look at God and say, you're crazy, I'm not doing it. But Abraham had faith, and he did it. You say, is your faith not where Abraham's was? I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is. I have this story, so it might be. But how did I have this story? I don't know. I don't know. But on he went, up the hill he went. And as they're going up the mountain, uh, the, uh, Isaac says to him, Hey, Dad, we've got the, the, the wood on the back of Joseph, a picture of Jesus. We've got the fire, the ability to start a fire for the sacrifice. Hey, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? 
And Moses, or rather Abraham, looks at Isaac and he says, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh, God will provide. God will provide. Look at verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That mount was named God will provide. God will provide. Uh, Can I just tell you something tonight? You may be facing some uncertainty in your life where you don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from. Or you don't know where the medical answers are going to come from. Or you don't know where how the relational strife will cease. God will provide. It's His name. It's who He is. It's what He does. And so you can rest assured in that. The promises of His name. Letter B, notice, God gives peace, or Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. Turn over to Judges chapter 6 with me in your Bibles. Judges chapter 6. After Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you have Joshua, then Judges. Judges chapter 6, and uh, we'll look at verse 24. Here we have Gideon. He's been approached by the angel in the um, uh, there in the um, uh, valley where he's threshing wheat, and God has just told him. The angel just told him, "Hey, I want you to go knock over your dad's altar of Baal and build an altar to me." And um, uh, this is where we find Gideon. Look at verse twenty-four. Then Gideon built an altar there, there in the valley, unto the Lord. And here's what he called the altar. He called it. Jehovah Shalom, or Yahweh Shalom, unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of of that place. Amen? So he builds an altar there and he says, God gives peace. Now, notice how he's claiming the peace of God while in a time of great strife. A time of great strife. Here they were surrounded by, I believe, the Mennonites. My Midianites, if my memory serves me properly, but by the enemy of God. And they were way outnumbered. And God had told this bashful, shy young man that he was to go lead the armies to victory. He did not know how the battle was going to come out. But he built an altar and he called the altar, God is peace. Or God gives peace. God gives peace. You know, um, a, a point of practicality here for me and you is that in that time of uncertainty and strife, that time of great stress and anxiety, best thing for you to do is look at God and say, you are the Prince of Peace. You give peace. And I'm asking you to do the same for me. Now, you may not need that tonight, but there's somebody here tonight that does. Because you're going through a tough time right now, and you're just like Gideon in the valley, and you don't know how the battle's going to turn out. But i got to tell you, God is still on the throne. His name is still powerful, and His name means peace. So claim that. Claim that while in the valley. God gives peace. The promises of God's name. There are some things that we can rest assured will take place and will happen because of the very name of who God is and the power of His name. Let her see, notice, God is our protector. God is our protector, or Yahweh Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth. And I'm butchering the pronunciation, but that's not really what's important tonight. Uh, turn over with me to 1 Samuel 17. While you're turning there, let me read for you Psalm 24:10. Who is the King of Glory? Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of Hosts. 
He is the king of glory. Selah. Now, what does that mean? The Lord of hosts. A host is a, an army. And he is the God, the master, the leader of all of the armies of the earth. In fact, the army that God oversees is the army of heaven that will completely, uh, uh, could very quickly uh, uh, erase all of planet earth at a moment's notice. That's who he's in charge of. I get tickled when one of these um, uh, little do-nothing countries with their little tyrannical dictator throws threats at the U.S. of A. And our president, um, uh, he's, not, uh, uh, he, he's not slow to mince his words. or uh, he'll, He just says it right out. Hey, my button is bigger than your button. Right? The nukes I've got are laughing at your nukes. Now, you could argue whether or not he should do that. You're welcome to your opinion, and I'm not going to argue with you about that. But the point I'm making here is that God's armies are laughing at the earth's armies. Why? Because he's the Lord of hosts. He's in charge of those armies. Now, with that in mind, look at 1 Samuel 17, 45, and we find the little shepherd David boy, and he's there at the, the, the battle with Goliath. He's in the valley. He's getting ready to fight this Goliath with just a sling and five stones. And this is what this is the name of God that he throws at uh, at uh, the Philistine. It says, thus saith David, the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He said, hey, there is power in the name of the Lord. And the power in the name of the Lord is that He is the leader of all of the armies of heaven. And you may throw your threatenings out, you being a nine foot nine inch tall giant, but I got Him behind me. You, my friend, are a dead man. What giant is it that's in your life right now that you don't know how to overcome? You've got the Lord of hosts standing right behind you. His name alone is powerful enough to wipe out your problem. Wipe out your problem. There's promises in His name. And that promise is that He is your protector. Nothing bad will happen to you unless God signs off on it and endorses it. And if He does that, it's for your good. It's for your good. Those of you that were here Wednesday heard about the missionary that died in Africa. Tragic. And I can hear the critics saying, well, where was God to stop it? God signed off on that well before it happened. If God did not want that to happen, it wouldn't have happened. You remember the three Hebrew boys standing there at the fiery furnace? They said, our God is able. He can stop this if he wants. He may choose not to. He may let us die in that furnace. But we ain't bowing, King Nebuchadnezzar. And God is a God of hosts. And that word host, we read that over and over again in the Bible... Let's remember that that is God saying to us, I have the armies of heaven and I will protect you. You remember when uh, Elisha was surrounded by the armies and he got up and he looks out the window and his servant man's going nuts. And he says, relax, everything's under control. And then he says, he prays and says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant man that he can see. Servant man looks out the window, and behind this army, uh, this enemy army coming to get uh, Elisha, was another army of angels that were much bigger and greater than that army. 
Why? Because God is in charge of the armies of heaven. And by that, we have great protection. Amen? The promises of his name. We've looked at the power of his name, the promises of his name. Number three, let's look at the portraits of his name. The portraits of his name. Let me uh, quickly here give you an A, B, and a C and show you some things in the Bible that are just fascinating. Letter A, notice, he or his, uh, uh, he is my salvation. He is my salvation or Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. Turn over to Exodus seventeen fifteen. Exodus seventeen fifteen. Now, the, um, uh, the back story here is that uh, the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness and they come up on the Amalekites, and the Amalekites want to fight them. And so God tells Moses, he says, go up on the mount and hold the rod or the nisi above your head. And as long as that rod is up, you will win. When the rod drops, your armies are going to lose. And so he stood there and he held that rod above his head. And as long as that was up there, the Israelites advanced on the Amalekites. But as you would expect, the blood began to run out, run out of his arm. His arm began to wither and fall. And what happened was that uh, the, uh, the Amalekites began to advance on the Israelites. And so Aaron and Hur came and propped up the hands of the prophet and held those hands above his head so that the rod could be held high. And as long as that rod was high, they won. And Israel won a great battle that day. We know later God would have King Saul finish out the Amalekites for this very wickedness right here. But look at Exodus seventeen fifteen with me. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it. Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi. That word Nisi was the rod that he was holding. He called that that rod was called a Nisi and he would hold it up above his head and they would win. Just like uh, just like the rod had to be held high for victory. My friend, the cross had to be raised high on the mount so you and I could have victory in Christ. He is my salvation. He was saying, hey, Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, he, uh, the, what is the portrait here? That you look on the cross and you live. By the way, that brazen rod with the serpent on it that was held up in the wilderness, anybody want to guess what the Hebrew word is for the rod that was held up there? It's Nisi. It's the word Nisi. They had to look at the Nisi to live. And here God was saying, look at that rod and live. Here he's saying salvation comes when the rod or the banner of salvation is held high. The name of God itself is salvation. It is a portrait for what me and you must do, you and I must do, to be saved. The portraits of his name. He is my salvation. Notice next. He is my sanctifier. He is my sanctifier. I'm not going to attempt to say this name of God because it's just uh, uh, too difficult for me here. But turn over to Exodus 31 verse 13. The Bible says there, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am, that name right there on the screen, uh, uh, the Lord that doth sanctify you. Now, we look at this as a description of what God does, but uh, it, the Israelites read this as, I am, and then the name of God, Yahweh uh, Makadeshim, or something along those lines. And so, what was the purpose of God telling them to keep the Sabbath day? Was it so they could loaf around and be lazy? 
You know, they're not to lift a finger and work, right? They're to have their food prepared ahead of time, and they were really to do very little to nothing on the Sabbath. And those Orthodox Hebrews or Jews that still keep uh, the Sabbath, they don't do anything on the Sabbath day. They don't drive. Uh, they don't do anything. Uh, uh, if, if you ever go to Israel and you get on an elevator on a Saturday, you're not allowed to push the buttons. It opens at every floor because it's part of the Sabbath day. Now, why did God uh, have them doing so little on the Sabbath? Was it so they would have a day to be lazy? No, that wasn't why. God provided the Sabbath day so that the Israelites would have a day to reflect on their shortcomings and so that God could use that to sanctify them, to sanctify them. It was not meant to be a day of waste. It was meant to be a day where God would clean them up and wash them. And so you get this picture of a, of, of a mother standing over her two-year-old child that's been playing out in the mud. And the mother is down there, the father's down there, washing the mud off that child in, in the bathtub. And God says, I've given you the Sabbath day so you'll be still and I can clean you up. Now, let me just speak to uh, those of us here that go at a neck break speed. You need to have time regularly where you rest. Not so you can watch sports. Not so you can uh, uh, run around and, and, and vacation and have a good time. You need to have time to rest so God can clean you up. God can't clean you up if you're running here and running there and running everywhere. Your mind is on those. It, it, your mind would be on those things. And God says, look, when are you just going to be still and know that I'm God? Be still and know that I'm God. Let God be the one that bathes you, that cleanses you. Um, do you have a time every day where you just pray and confess your sins to God? Do, do you have that? If you don't, you need to establish that. Or where when you make a mistake, the Holy Spirit punches you in the chest and you pause right there and say, Lord, I know I blew it. I'm sorry. Will you be the God that sanctifies me? That washes me. We have we have the promises of His name. He is uh, uh, He will provide. He gives peace. He is our protector. And then some of the names of God are portraits for us to look at and to behold. And we get the idea that God is our salvation. He is our sanctifier. But let's look at another name of God here and notice that He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd, Yahweh Roi. Turn over to Psalm chapter twenty three. In verse number one, I know you know it, but turn over there anyway with me and let's look at it together. Let's let our eyes minister to us this evening as we look at the pages of the Bible. Yahweh Roi. This verse in the Hebrew begins with that name. Yahweh Roi, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Somebody here tonight has lost their way. They don't know what the future holds. They don't know where to go. They don't know what decisions to make. They're sheep wandering in a field all by themselves. Let me tell you tonight, God is your shepherd. He's your shepherd. There's a lot of things about a shepherd that are fascinating. One of them, you listening? One of them is that I hope you're hearing this. Sheep are trained to listen to one shepherd's voice. I learned that from this guy sitting down here. 
Eric. Eric went to work at, a, at an animal farm and worked with different types of animals. And we were talking about the difference between pigs and sheep. Pigs is kind of what we are before we get saved, right? They're constantly testing the, 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 testing the fence and, and trying to get away, and they like to water in the mud, and they're stubborn. And then we get saved, and we become sheep. Do you know that sheep are only trained to listen to one shepherd's voice? One shepherd's voice. Eric said, I couldn't get the sheep to do what I wanted them to do because I wasn't their shepherd. Is that right? I had to get their shepherd to come and instruct them. Now, um, the role, I'm going I'm to bring this back to God, but I want to insert this right here. I hope everybody's listening. The role of the pastor is the under-shepherd of the church. God has called Richard Lejeune to pastor, shepherd, White Oak Baptist Church. There are many, many of you here, whether you have good intentions or not, many, many of you here that listen to an abundance of preachers on the Internet. God has called you to tune your ear in to one shepherd. He's called you to be a sheep. If you're listening to 50 preachers preach a passage 50 different ways, boy, you sure are going to be confused. And so if you're going to go to White Oak Baptist Church, I'm not saying you can't ever listen to another sermon from another source. Please don't take that this way. But if you're listening to a preacher preach preach radically different philosophically or scripturally than I am, and you're wanting to hold to that, then maybe, and I don't say this with ill intent in my voice, Please understand where the, the heart this is coming from. But if you're bent on listening to someone that has a different idea of what the Scriptures say than I do, a different philosophy than I have from the Bible, maybe you need to go join a flock that fits that. But you don't need to listen to two contradicting voices. Get your ear on one shepherd and listen intently. You say, oh, I don't like that. If you don't like that, you're probably the one that needed to hear it. Now, I, I felt the Lord leading me to put that out there, and, uh, and, and I hope that it's taken in the spirit that it was attempted to be given in. But God is the premier shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I take orders from him, and I do as I'm told. I spend a lot of time in prayer before I put a sermon together. And I ask God to lead me and show me. And I'm trying to deliver the message to you as a member and attendee of this church that God would have. But he ultimately is the shepherd. And our ear needs to be tuned to him as he leads us, as he guides us, as he shows us where to go and when to go and at what pace to go there. Sometimes God, uh, the shepherd, uh, uh, Yahweh Roe, uses the hook on the staff to gently pull us back in when we're, we're, when we're straying away. Other times he spins that thing around when we're being stubborn and he'll break our leg and he'll lay us down in the pasture and he'll say, sit there for a while uh, and I'm going to make you to lie down in green pastures. I'm going to make you lie there because you're being stubborn. And so we get this picture, this portrait of God being our Shepherd, our shepherd. And I gotta say, praise God that we have a, we have a God who's not just being uh, concerned with bossing us around. He is concerned with guiding us and leading us and loving us. Amen?
the power of his name, the promises of his name, the portraits of his name. Let's end tonight with this, the praise of his name. The praise of his name. There's one more name of God. And by the way, we're just scratching the surface on this. We could spend years studying all the names of God in the Bible, uh, not just 40 minutes in one sermon, okay? But we could spend years studying this. And so literally, this isn't even, this is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. You all understand this? The tip of the tip of the iceberg. But this is still really neat. Turn over to Genesis, uh, or rather, turn over to Psalm chapter 7 for me. Psalm 7. I'll read for you Genesis 14 in a minute. Uh, And if you're taking notes, I don't know that this will be on the screen. I don't think it is. But write this name for God down. El Elyon. Is that up there? No, it's not. El Elyon. El Elyon. That's L space E-L-Y-O-N. L E-L space E-L-Y-O-N. And that name means the most... High God, the most high God. Almost every time you find this name for God in the Hebrew, what you find are people praising God, lifting his name up and rejoicing in who he is. Genesis 14, 18 and 19 says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God, El Elyon. My personal opinion is that Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. There are good people that uh, would disagree with that, but that's my stance on it. Verse 19, and he, Melchizedek, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. So here they're praising the name of God. The name of God, they know who he is, and they're Praising him as the God above all gods, the most high God. Look at Psalm 7, verse 17 here. Let's read several verses back to back. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praises to the name of El Elyon, the the Lord most high. Turn over to Psalm chapter 9 and verse 2. Get ready to use those fingers. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 2. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name. O thou El Elyon, most high, most high God. Uh, Look over at Psalm 46, verse 4. Psalm 46, verse 4. I will will praise the Lord. I will sing praise to his name. Uh, Look at Psalm 46, verse 4. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. Elion. And so we get an idea here is that we are to be glad in the name of our most high God. We can find refuge and comfort in that. Look at Psalm chapter 50 and verse 14. Psalm 50 and verse 14. The verse begins with the command here. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Okay. And the rest of the verse is going to tell us why. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high. El Elyon. Because he is the most high, we can give thanks. Because he is the most high, we can pay our vows. Look at chapter 57, verse 2. Two more here. I will cry unto God most high. Unto God that performeth all things for me. Here he's saying, my heart is overwhelmed and I'm struggling. But I know that I can call out to the God who is above all gods. 
He is a God that sits above everything and everyone. He is the Most High. Turn over to Psalm chapter 91 and verse 1. Psalm 91 and verse 1. This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Psalm. Here we get two names for God in the same verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, El Elyon, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, or El Shaddai. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We've got a lot to be thankful for this evening. We've got a God who is great. A God who is powerful. And a God who not only is powerful because He created the heavens and earth and and oversees the atmosphere and stretched out the heavens and all the things we looked at when we talked about the omnipotence of God, just the name of God itself carries with it great power. That is something we can rejoice in. That is something we can deeply enjoy and appreciate. The question tonight is this. Do you properly revere God? Do you revere Him the way He wants you to revere Him? Or is He just some little thing you can stick in your pocket? No, He is to be revered. He's to be honored. He's to be loved. And He's to be counted on in times of toughness in our life. The other question is this. Are you trusting God? Or are you just trusting yourself? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening. Well, Lord, I'm to preach to an audience of one, and that's to you. And God, I'm a feeble, weak person who tried to talk about a topic that is beyond explanation. I did not do the topic justice, but I don't know that I ever could. But Lord, I hope you were pleased by what was said tonight. And God, these your people, you you want to revere you and honor you. Not only with our lips, but with our life. So, Lord, I pray that tonight we have been reminded of how powerful your name is. May we not only revere it, but may we trust it. Yes, Lord, through the good times. But, Lord, even more importantly, when times are tough. Help us to know that you are our salvation. You are our sanctifier. You are our shepherd. And Lord, I pray tonight we would be able to center our heart and mind on the God who created us and stamped us in His image. And may we live to worship You and honor You and revere You and trust You. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar is open. The piano is playing. However the Lord has moved in your heart tonight, you're encouraged to come and kneel and talk to the Lord about it.